This is the Doctor Who Podcast, and you are most welcome. In this episode, we'll be talking, 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 talking. We've got Tom in the camper van. Hello, Tom. Hello. And Stephen in the other corner. Hello, Stephen. Hello. Hello. Now, this is going to be the third of our latest series of Burning Issues episodes where we take a reasonably contentious subject uh, within Doctor Who fandom and try and have a relatively interesting debate about it. They've proved very popular in the past. Mm -hmm. And the subject this time which is kind of intriguing for me, I think, because it's not really a question I sat down and actively thought about before. Does the lead actor in Doctor Who actually need to act? <laughs> interesting question, and I look forward to getting to it. But uh, but before that, I wanted to ask you two uh, about the news that's been bouncing around fandom in the last seven days or so. Uh, first of all, we had this uh, announcement a few days ago now, as we record, about the simulcast uh, of the 50th anniversary special Day of the Doctor. Mm. It's going out to over 75 countries worldwide at the same time. It is amazing. I mean, for a television show, for, I mean, you know, 50th anniversary, big, huge deal, but for uh, just a TV show, uh, a, a, a single episode to broadcast to 75 countries around the world uh, at the same time, that's, that's hmm. pretty, pretty incredible. It's definitely expensive, but... <laughs> it, 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 <laughs> But, but 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 here's the thing. I mean, it, I guess what it does is it, it cements the idea that Doctor Who is what we could call a media event. I don't. Does that make it a cultural event or is it just a media event? <sighs> Depends what you mean by cultural. It's um, hmm. it's certainly an event. I'll give it that. <laughs> I was about to say the same thing. Well, it's an event. Because okay, look, from my point of view, I'd like to be like, it, 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 I, I do, like as I've said several times, that the space in my psyche which is filled with Doctor Who, is filled with football with other people, I know. So I know that people get really, really excited about their football teams doing well or their rugby teams doing well, and that space in me is Doctor Who. So I, I want to think that, yes, this is great, the world turns on to Doctor Who, it's fantastic. I mean, literally, the world turns on to Doctor Who. But my pragmatic brain says, well, yeah, but it's a, market, it's a marketing triumph, but it's a media triumph. How much do people in Korea really uh, care about Doctor Who? That's a very, very good point, and it's something that crossed my mind as well when you when you cast your eye down the list of countries hmm. uh as i said there's 75 countries Stephen, can you just run through them quickly please uh, yeah <laughs> yeah argentina bolivia brazil chile colombia costa rica dominican republic el salvador ecuador guatemala honduras mexico nicaragua panama paraguay peru uruguay venezuela angola benin botswana burkina faso burundi cameroon cape verde islands central african republic chad congo cote d'ivoire democratic republic of the congo Djibouti, equatorial guinea eritrea ethiopia gabon Gambia, Ghana, Guinea, Guinea-Bissau, Kenya, Liberia, Madagascar, Malawi, Mali, Mauritania, Mauritius, Mozambique, Namibia, Niger, Nigeria, Rwanda, Sao Tome and Principe, Senegal, Seychelles, Sierra Leone, Somalia, South Africa, Sudan, South Sudan, Swaziland, Tanzania, and Zanzibar, Togo, Uganda, Zambia, Zimbabwe, Hong Kong, Indonesia, Malaysia, Myanmar, Singapore, Austria, Thailand, Thailand, Italy, Germany, Poland, Russia, Poland, Russia, Poland, Russia, Poland. Okay, thank you, Stephen. That was nice and clear. But yeah, so we've got countries, you know, as far away as Botswana, like you say, Tom. How many people in Botswana would have heard of Doctor Who? And I don't know quite how the time um, things work out. <laughs> Sorry, Djibouti, Mozambique, <laughs> yes. 
Swaziland. I mean, come on. Aren't those some of the countries where the missing episodes are, are hidden? Oh, apparently. Yeah, apparently Robert Mugabe's got them. Well, I, I I know, but I, I like where Stephen's coming from there. Maybe this is some kind of deal broker. Do you never know? <laughs> Honestly, do you know what? Doesn't matter what happens in, in in Doctor Who fandom these days or in the Doctor Who world. It's all linked to the recovery of missing episodes somehow. Oh, good lord! Yes, <laughs> all driven by Twitter by Twitter account. But that's my point, though. How it, it is a great media event. But as I say, how much to Benin, Botswana, the Seychelles, Sierra Leone. Okay, I want to believe that this is going to. There'll be that the, the populations will stop and stare open mouthed and wide eyed at the screen as Matt Smith does his thing. But I'm not sure. But that said, look, I, that, that's my pragmatic brain talking. Doctor Who brain is like, oh yeah, that's fantastic. Tom, I want to ask you a question. That um, yeah, I, I'm honestly not quite certain how you'll respond to it, but uh, I want to ask you anyway. Are you upset that the UK are not getting this first? No. No, it's made in the UK. I mean, there's, not even there's, a little piece. No, not even no. slightly. There's a, there's a kind of boggle-eyed <laughs> mental. Well, sorry. There's a kind of swivel-eyed lunatic fan that will probably be <laughs> screaming and crying about it. But what 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 am I going to do? Get on a plane and and go to the first and go and watch it in Burkina Faso or something? No, it's fine. <laughs> hey, at least we're at least around the world they've got to adjust their clocks so that you know for the UK time when it's airing right you guys are getting <laughs> yeah. at the normal time on that Saturday everyone else has got to California's got to be up 11 o'clock in the morning to watch it so oh and that'll be difficult won't it <laughs> <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't doubt for a moment that there'll be there'll be somebody with some friend in another territory that will somehow conspire to see it before anybody else in the UK but do you know what I've waited 50 years I can wait another five hours I really can me too I actually think it's a it's a wonderful triumph and I, I wonder whether or not it will ever be repeated not just with Doctor Who but with any any show worldwide because this is an absolute landmark it's not just a success to make certain that you've got it in you know the main territories but we're talking you know really worldwide and despite the fact there may be two people in Botswana who have even heard of Doctor <laughs> Who the fact that they've got the rights to air it at the right time I mean that's why Edward Russell's been looking so tired of late because he must have been working his backside off trying to broker this deal and of course there's going to be more countries announced um, what, what they also announced at the same time is that you'll be able to or if you're in the UK at least, go and see this at the cinema at the time of broadcast as well. See, and that's that's what I'm kind of excited by. But but to go to, just to address one of your earlier points, did they did these countries buy it or was it sold to them? Does that not tantamount to the same thing? No, I, I'm, 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 no, um, sold no. to them or bought them. I see what you mean. Yeah. Did they go looking for it? Do you mean, or do you think we marketed it? Is that what yeah, you're asking? Yeah, exactly. Right. So don't know. <laughs> don't, don't know. Don't know. <laughs> Because I, I'm not sure that a program buyer in Swaziland was saying, "Do you know one of the, the, the most important thing we have to get this week is uh, is the rights to the 50th anniversary of Doctor Who?" Yeah, that's the thing we absolutely. So I, I wonder how much of this was, was bought and how much <laughs> of it was knows? sold. To be honest, I have a um, I have a sneaky suspicion that it was sold, and mm. uh, it, it, it is a success for PR and marketing and getting Doctor Who's oh, gotcha. brand recognised. Um, and, and whilst it is an advancement, I think from within fandom as well, because there won't be any spoiler issues this time, um, or any kind of downloads um, issue to worry about, because there'll be no point. I mean, it, the, <laughs> the questions you're posing are very interesting, Tom. But I'm just, <laughs> I just still can't. I'm still just uh, back to the fact that 
you know that that basically this is on par it's like you said you know when people are, people's heads are filled with with football but ours are head are, are filled with doctor who and this is on par with the world cup you know yes, it's you know there are some fans who like Doctor Who and football, <laughs> you know. I, I am one of them. <laughs> There's you freak! <laughs> I know, it's really strange, isn't it? But there are a few of us around, there really are. But I, I think it's great to have such uh, such excitement, at least uh, even if it was in just the main territories. I mean, this this is this news has really caused fandom to buzz, and uh, I'm, I'm really pleased. I have to say, I'm really pleased that our little show is, um, is getting worldwide recognition. Worldwide recognition. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think just you know, to to put the fan hat back on again. It's brilliant. I mean, really, really good. I mean, I, I know that there are some super fans who've been complaining that um, there wasn't enough activity, but I think as we come into the fourth quarter of the year, uh, October, November, December. Yeah, that's right. Um, and we're what about six weeks, seven weeks away from the the, the actual special. Things are getting a bit exciting. You know, pictures of um, uh, an adventure in space and time are, are beginning to leak out. There's some interesting news surfacing on Twitter as well. Um, but I, I, it's a, it, it's this last couple of years has been a good time to be a Doctor Who fan, and this is probably the best part of the best anniversary. So yeah, it's good. It, this is good. This is all good. <laughs> As we approach the 50th anniversary, we also know that we've met a new uh, Doctor actor. Peter Capaldi uh, is lined up to be the nth Doctor. And I say the nth because why, there, there are mutterings that he might be the 12th. Um, and there are suggestions that he could also be the first of a new run of Doctors as well. Um, but some weeks ago, we, we, we asked whether the lead actor of Doctor Who actually needs to act. Now, I want to put some, put some context into this. Um, of course... The, the lead actor of Doctor Who needs to be a seasoned uh, performance professional. There's no two ways about that. But I think since the days of Tom Baker, um, there's been a slight distinction between the lead actor acting and performing. And I, w- I want to draw the distinction as it was drawn to me by, a, by an acting teacher this week. Um, what she suggested was that when someone is um, advancing uh, a, a personality which is absolutely not theirs or, exagger- or exaggerating a specific part of their personality, that is acting. When you're being someone who you are not, then you're acting. Um, when you're just being an exaggerated version of who you are, that is performing. Um, now, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> well, it, it, it's, a, it's a great distinction, and she's, she's an interesting person. Um, and I think as we look down through the various Doctor actors, the distinct, that distinction in those terms, um, in some, it's very clear-cut. This person is acting. Um, in other cases, I, it's not so easy. And let, let's, let's call it straight out right now. Tom Baker, is he acting or is he performing? I, I, I don't, I honestly, I have no idea because, you know, I've seen him in interviews and it just, it does seem like he is performing, right? It does seem that, that someone mm. like Tom Baker is, he, he and he has said this, he, he said he was, uh, I was Doctor Who, you know? So, mm. uh, uh, so I, I, I would say performing. I, I think so. Too. Mm. Having said that, I also think certainly towards the end of his tenure, it was extremely difficult to pinpoint the watershed between Tom Baker <laughs> and the Fourth Doctor, and I mm. think he got confused as well. Mm. Um, I, I think when you look at anyone who's in this acting profession uh, for a long period of time, and you, you get to talk to them when they're being themselves, allegedly, it's it's actually quite revealing. Because they spend so much of their lives being other people, pretending to have different values or being in different situations, that when they're on their own, 
I think it can be difficult for them to know who they really are. And I think when you're involved in a show like Doctor Who that A, is so incredibly successful and Mm. B, is incredibly demanding on your time, when Mm. it suddenly stops, how do you go back to who you are? Is it just a natural ping back of a piece of elastic into your own personality? With Tom Baker, I don't see any evidence that Mm. he made a discernible effort or even if it was just an innate thing, um, I, he's just the same person, isn't he? Even today, you know, mm. 30, 40 years on. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. I mean, maybe, maybe the closest way that we can uh, envisage this is the simple thing of saying, well, okay, look, we all have jobs. Though we all have things that we do during the day. Um, at what point do you stop being your job? I mean, I know that um, the, the way that I navigate the various universes that I exist in is to just turn up certain bits of my personality and turn down others um, but I am that person all the way th- all, all the way through it's just that when I get home I am slightly less of those people um, cl- I think you know clearly professional actors or professional performers or you know, that, that combination of both um, would, would, would have different navigation strategies but but what I would say is that someone certainly someone like um, well, let's go from the top, actually. Bill Hartnell. Um, it seems that he spent an awful lot of time acting um, as hard men and nasty sergeant majors. Um, but you know, the, all, all the but by all accounts, the Doctor uh, and his, which, from what I understand, is his last his last major role um, was more of a performance than acting. But then yes. again, you know, but, yes. um, but then we get to Patrick Troughton, and that was definitely an acting role. It's interesting. You talked about William Hartnell. Um, I, I know he's <laughs> he's number one, mm. but uh, I I was going to pair him up with Christopher Eccleston because mm. the, the the pair of them were renowned for you know quite hard roles, very serious roles. I mean, in in some cases with Hartnell, he was quite a nasty character, mm-hmm. and and perhaps Eccleston and Hartnell were both at a similar point in their career where they thought for one reason or another I want to actually move away from what I appear to have been stereotyped as and I I know Eccleston picked and chose his roles very carefully Mm. but he very he didn't appear in any comedies he wasn't known for his witty quips as a as a funny character and neither was neither was Bill Hartnell and then Doctor Who come along and it gives him the opportunity to say do you know what I can do well almost in both their cases children's television Mm. and it's something that is not on my CV before and it gives me a chance to act and I use that distinction between acting and performing there because I think it was a marked difference in in, in both of their careers and you know Bill Hartnell sadly never had much of a career after Doctor Who Christopher Eccleston has kind of just carried on as he was before he was cast as the Doctor well I I seem to remember Sylvester McCoy on the occasion where I was lucky enough to meet him saying that it's not it wasn't so much a question of being typecast as the Doctor, but he'd never actually stopped being Doctor Who, and I think there. I, I'm hard pressed to think of another role um, in acting which is like this. Um, Sherlock Holmes is not the same as this because you know, well, once an actor has been Doctor Who, they are the Doctor. There's a couple, you know. I mean, I think there's there's Sleep comparisons to be drawn. Well, I wasn't actually going to say that, but yes, I, I I agree. I think once you've been cast as Superman, that will stay with you. Mm. Um, but I was thinking more of James Bond. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, I'll accept that definitely. Yes, uh, and, yes. and I think people will always define 
your career by that one role. And they do it with George Lazenby, mm. <laughs> you know, and he was only James Bond for one film. It's the thing that apparently annoyed Christopher Eccleston. This is one thing I can't really understand about anyone going into the role of the Doctor without doing sufficient amount of research, particularly in the 21st century, that this is going to go on their professional gravestone. It will be the first thing anyone ever mentions ever again. Former Doctor um, Who, yeah. Yeah, yeah, former Doctor Who. And people will always want to ask questions about that. And if you really feel you can't handle it, or it's just going to annoy you, then certainly, why do it? Mm. Why do it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, and I, 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 therefore... I've got to a point it in my fandom, if it's a continuity of that I'm following in my my fandom, I'm my affection for Christopher Eccleston has waned. Um, I I love his performance as the Ninth Doctor, but I mm. do not understand his reticence to engage with any of fandom or indeed even talk about um, well. the show. I can't help it. I just I just feel as though he's. He's not doing something that wouldn't actually cost him very much, and fans are going to talk about him being a doctor, irrespective of what he says or does. Well, that's the thing. I, I don't. I've not seen that he's overly reticent about it. It seems that if he if he's asked about the show, he answers. He's, if you if you press him about it, he'll 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 give you a response. But what he won't do is he won't rest on his laurels. And I loved his phrase that you can't bathe in the same river twice. Um, and there is that piece of um, uh, that, that, that piece of uh, audio that leaked out from one of his acting classes yeah. where he yeah, was very yeah. clear about his reasons for not wanting to um, stay in the show. But then again, there are, still, there are still many things that we don't know. And I think it's a bit arrogant to assume that, there's, that we do know everything. We don't. We don't know how long he was first contracted for. We don't know actually what his reasons for not returning for the 50th are. And I've heard all sorts of things from... He didn't like the scripts to what's more likely, um, which um, which is a suggestion that somebody out of left field made, which was that his agent just got the dates wrong. It, you know, these, <laughs> these, these these things can happen. I, I, you know. Oh, I know, I, and I know, and I'm not I'm not assuming I know, and I don't know why. What what I what I do know is that he isn't in the fiftieth anniversary. I do I do know that he. Chose do not we? to attend the BFI. <laughs> yeah, oh, go on. Do we? And do we know? And and he, he didn't. Uh, he didn't attend the BFI, but he did send that video, right? No, mm. it wasn't a video. It was a note. I, I was there for that. Oh, okay. And, uh, okay. He he sent a very brief paragraph that was uh, a little bizarre, but it was it was very um, pointed. He knew what he was going to say. Uh, he he praised the director, which is Joe Ahern, of the episodes that they were screening. Um, he mentioned Russell T. Davis in passing, but at no point did he say he had any affection for Doctor Who or indeed he enjoyed his time on the show. And I, I'm not suggesting that he should say that if it isn't true. I, I think perhaps one day we may know people will become slightly more loose-tongued perhaps. I mean, we know for definite now that he was only on that one series contract because we found out last weekend David Tennant knew that he was cast as the Doctor even before Rose had aired. Because David Tennant told everybody. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, mean, I, I just find it disappointing because he gave such a fantastic performance in so many of those episodes. And he immediately was welcomed into my heart as a viewer when the show came back. And um, I'm, I, I'm going off on a massive tangent. Uh, but, <laughs> <laughs> but either way, um, Eccleston, I think, is one person who you can undeniably say is, uh, is an actor. He's, um, from what I understand from stories on the show, he was a method actor even with uh, even with the role of the doctor pretty much 
But even but, as, but even as he says, he, he didn't have to get a, when you're doing the doctor, you don't have to get your Stanislavski out. There's not a huge amount there. It, it you bring a lot to it. And what is interesting is to watch um, or to see the progression as writers work out how this person is going to perform the doctor or how this person is going to to deliver the character, whether they're acting or performing, to see the script becoming more sympathetic to that particular lead. I mean, the, in, in every first season, uh, and I'm and Genesis of the Daleks, I'm looking at you, um, there, there are clear indications, to me, there seem to be clear indications where a show's been written for the previous for the previous actor. Yeah, and I think that's probably more evident in the classic series. Mm. I mean, if you, if you try, and it's, it, it's quite a popular pastime for fans to try and pick up one particular doctor from one story and plant it in a different doctor's era and try and decide whether that works i think you can do that with a couple of tenant and smith episodes um mm-hmm. but it's so much easier to do it in those transition periods in the classic era like you say tom uh, a lot of tom baker's first season you could quite easily see john pertwee in i think yeah I mean, I so think, does that mean you don't actually need to act? I mean, is the role of the Doctor actor-proof? Um, I don't know, Stephen, what do you think? You've been very quiet. Uh, I've been very quiet because I'm, I, I'm trying to, to, to wrap my head around around the idea, to be honest. Um, just, be, <laughs> just because I, I think that, um, you know, I, I think that there's just different levels of acting and performance and things like that. And I don't, I'm, not sure I, I'm not sure I 100% agree with the, with the difference between the two. It's been, it's been very lucky uh, the actors who have been cast, but I don't think that they've all been, you know, fantastic all the time either. So um, I don't think it's actor proof. I think it does require someone who can really sort of get inside the head of the character. It's a it's a huge character to play and and very much larger than life. I mean, this is why Tom Baker is is so revered in the part and 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 is so you know uh, associated with with why we say like that it was more of a performance than than acting is because you know Tom Baker is a larger than life man he is a larger than life character period um so it it takes that it it does definitely takes that um that uh aspects you know of a person to be able to to handle the part um I don't think that you can just throw anyone into the role. Uh, obviously, there's so many other factors involved in the writing and the the stories and the ideas, you know. But, mm. um, and, but I, you know, I, I think that the stories themselves do lend themselves to. I think Stephen Moffat has said it is that he doesn't write for the actor; he writes for the doctor. You know, what would the mm. doctor do? And 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 yeah, it's up to the who, actor to put their spin on it. Well, who is who is the doctor without the actor putting their spin on it? And I think it's a cyclical thing. Um, and I think it's true in any kind of show the more you get to know your character um, through watching the actor perform it the easier it is to put words in their mouth in a convincing way mm. and uh, I, I think that's true of any show with um, you know an ensemble cast I think it's particularly clear with ensemble cast programs because you gradually see that entire group of actors develop together i think it's different with doctor who because the focus is predominantly on whoever is playing the doctor um but i do think practically every actor has grown into the role i mean i've I've watched a couple of matt smith episodes uh, earlier on this week um from his first series i watched the beast below which i still think is a great show it's It's a a very story (laughs) story. I, i thoroughly enjoy that and also answers your question i think um Matt Smith acts through that, through and through. But it's it's quite um, it's quite a fraught and intense performance. Whereas if you watch one of his later episodes, then the guy's suave, he's core, relaxed. He looks visibly more comfortable 
in his own shoes. And of course, within the fiction of the show, you can say, well, of course he's getting used to his new persona, he's much more comfortable, he's 300 years older than when he regenerated now. And you can write that off as as a deliberate ploy. But I think all it is, is the act of becoming much more familiar with his job. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think so. Is a good example. Sorry, sorry, yeah, sorry. yeah, no, no, you're right. I, I, I think so as well. I think that is him becoming him becoming more comfortable, and I think it fits within the story. And I think, I still, I think he is still an actor. He does. Matt does things with with the part that he does so many little unexpected things um, in his performance. There's all of these like Eleventh Doctor memes basically like live action memes that he has done you know with um i i always go back to the scene in the uh, uh, bells of saint john when he is smelling all of the food on the counter that's i i can guarantee that is not direction that is matt stepping in and like oh, this is what i would do and this uh, this is what the, the doctor would do and i'm going to do it and have fun with it and all those little there's just little mm. things that he does and um th- that make the character you know that he has done to make the, the character his the character of the 11th doctor his you know I, I i i know where you're coming from but i also think i mean if you look at the 11th doctor's mannerisms and i'm referring to the character there you know sometimes the way he holds his fingers awkwardly or he um he wriggles them up and down do you know mm-hmm. when he's uh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. when he when he's talking that is matt smith that's not a performance. That's Matt Smith because he does that in real life. You see him interviewed, yeah. and he's always fiddling or he's moving his hands or or something. And and I just wonder whether you know he's deciding. Do you know what that bit of me? That's now going to be a bit of the Doctor as well. And therefore, you get a much more confident and fluid performance. Well, one of the things I, I notice um, is that when we think is just to drag us back to um, Tennant and maybe Capaldi is mm. that you've got uh, and and I'd, I'd include. Um, that's not Mr. McCoy in this. Here are three Scotsmen, three Scottish actors. One of them, uh, McCoy, chooses to play the Doctor with his very unusual accent. It's very, it is very Scottish, but it's quite unusual. Um, then we've got David Tennant, who chooses to play the Doctor with in Mockney. I wonder what Capaldi will do, um, <laughs> because, because because there you've got the distinction between acting and performance. You know, you know, Tennant is acting. Um, McCoy, I don't know. It's it's you know, he's 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 turning up bits of his personality, but I think he's I think that's a performance to be honest. I, I agree, and I think he tones some of his personality down for the Doctor as well. Because uh, mm. Sylvester McCoy in real life is essentially a um, an X-rated version of the Seventh Doctor. Mm. I'll go with that. I'll go with that. But but I have to say actually, I'm not sure how we how we could get this in, and I don't I don't want to over 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 egg the pudding. But um, I want to get some some big finish in here as well because what what I notice is that the performance of the classic series doctors who have um, extended their. Their, their, their portrayals into Big Finish has developed. I mean, this is an obvious thing to say because they've been doing it for longer. Um, but I think it stops. It becomes less of an act and more of an assured performance. No, I I do agree, um, I, and I think that's because it, it's audio. Uh, not only that, you've got people writing for these characters. The only way you can believe that this is the Doctor you're hearing is if he behaves like the doctor <laughs> and and th- and therefore it's the writing it's it's the writing becomes so much more important and whilst the performances you know, they, they need to be believable and they need to be authentic if they start coming out with stuff that simply isn't true to the character then you lose something as a listener and i'll, I'll give you an example and it's not with one of the lead actors sadly it's with Romana one and there was some dialogue within a couple of recent plays where she said, what the hell? Now, that performance that Mary Tam gave, I think, was probably brilliant, right? The vast majority, I say probably, because I 
I just believe it's Romana well. 1. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but the writer puts those words in her mouth that, for me, didn't fit the character. And so although you've got a fantastic performance, you've got the writer having that much more um, impact on, on how you listen and how you receive it. Mm, I, I had that feeling with um, Lala Ward. I, 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 I worry because she's quite a brilliant actress and she's a little bit scary. Um, but there was some, I, I heard her in, um, I think it was Gallifrey 3, and it must have been a long recording day because there was a bit where she stopped being Romana and became Lala Ward. Yeah, yeah. and it's you know it's evident where you uh, where where the actor stops and the character where the character stops and the actor starts in some of those. I mean, Katie Manning, for example. Um, oh, good I, Lord. I, I know, I, but I whether I watch her as Joe Grant in an episode or whether she's on a panel, you know she's performing all the time. That's not really Katie Mang. It simply can't be. She'd be exhausted most of the time. <laughs> and nobody would actually engage in a conversation about having a cup of tea with her because it would be absolutely it'd be too complicated. Um so I think, you know, this this is where you get real performances but they are very natural performances because they're very believable and, and Catherine Tate shares a lot of those qualities I think as a, as an individual well I, I, again I've seen her on shows on inter- Catherine Tate on interview shows it's like no okay you are definitely Catherine Tate there because I recognize your face but I do not recognize this character and this yeah. character is more uh, has more edges than anything else I've seen you perform. Um, but I have to say, I have a couple of actor friends, and some of them are just like perf- just performing all the time. And it's not yeah. so much. I have to be careful how I phrase this. It's not exhausting. It is um, a concern in yeah. some cases. Yeah, so yeah. I, I, you're being delicate, but I had a lot of theater friends, and I did a lot of theater um, back in the day. And yes, it's exhausting. <laughs> There's a reason why they're called, you know, drama students. <laughs> <laughs> Not because they do drama. Because they well. do drama. They live drama. <laughs> I, I, how many of the lead actors do you feel do drama? The only one who I can really feel I could say that about justifiably is Tom Baker. Um, and, I, uh, I wouldn't want to upset any of them. They all, they're all very powerful people and very charismatic. I noticed that. I mean, you, you, you've both met people like... Um, uh, like uh, Senator McCoy and Colin Baker, these are very charismatic people. They have a hu- they do have gravity and presence. Notice I say notice I say gravity rather than gravitas in some cases. Yeah, it's in- it's interesting you mentioned Capaldi. Uh, you mentioned it before. He has said that he's going to play the Doctor in his Scottish accent. Mm-hmm. He has he has confirmed that. In fact, David Tennant at the BFI last weekend was asked a this well this question. So, Mr. Tennant, uh, how annoyed are you that uh, that Mr. Capaldi is going to play the Doctor in his natural Scottish accent? Um, and David Tennant said, "Well, I just think it's lazy." <laughs> you know, <laughs> so uh, it was it was a lot of fun there. But uh, interesting, I I think they have particularly today's Doctors a lot of say in how they play the Doctor. And uh, I, I think they are given probably far more of a free reign than some of the some of the previous doctors. I mean, you look at Colin Baker; he was told to act in a certain way, and uh, certainly for his first season. And you can say there there is one particular actor who is who is hung by the production team's decision to make him inaccessible, irascible, uh, basically not a very nice individual. Uh, but you look at some of those scenes where he's threatening Perry. Now, he feels very uncomfortable because you don't expect the Doctor to do that. But you believe the performance and you believe that character. You look at his eyes when he looks at Perry. He's 
quite scary. You're you're totally right, James, about the the, the actor getting to get, having say in in their portrayal of the character. I mean, it, it's 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 quite obvious that. I mean, first of all, you know. The, the costumes, when you think about uh, how they came to David Tennant's costume and how they came to Matt Smith's costume, they ch- basically chose their own costumes for how they, you know, for what made them feel like the Doctor. Didn't John Pertwee turn up to work in his own clothes and basically acted in them <laughs> as well? Probably, <laughs> probably. Yeah. But, um, but I, I, you know, I, do, I feel like the Tenth Doctor is more David Tennant's idea of what the Doctor would be like than, than anything else you know I mean I think that the you know uh, obviously R- Russell you know got behind that and, and agreed with that but it's very much mm-hmm. you know David Tennant living out his fanboy fantasy of how he would have been the doctor when he was eight years old you know and he's just doing it as an adult yes I, I agree and I think because he comes with uh, a bit of fanboy baggage um, it, it really does influence the way in which he portrays the doctor mm-hmm. uh, nine times out of ten i think that's good i think there's a couple of lines and scenes that the writers put him in that don't suit what i believe Tennant's idea of the doctor is i don't i i don't believe david Tennant is happy in performing some of those comedy physical comedy scenes um that makes all of us fans you know mid 30s approaching 40 put our fists in our mouth and go ah because it's uh, it, 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 I think his idea of the Doctor probably is very much in line with ours. And now it's time for Ian and Michelle with their latest Big Finish review. Uh, this week, they are reviewing Countermeasures Series 2. Cue that awesome theme music. Big Finish with Ian and Michelle from across the Atlantic Ocean. Ian from the UK and Michelle from the United States. Reviewing Big Finish Sorting out the wheat from the chuff and nonsense Saving you money on the ones that are not so good Well, Ian, for these reviews, I feel like we should be having a clandestine meeting somewhere in some dark corner of the camper van where we can't be spied upon because we're talking about a series that has a whole lot of spying and other strange goings on, and it must be countermeasures. You've got to get me out of here. You've got to send help. Do that! You have to... They're coming for me, don't you understand? God damn you, man! God damn you! We're talking first about a story called Peshka, which uh, involves some international intrigue and international spy games, focusing on the game of chess. Yes, pe- Peshka means pawn in Russian, and the, the, the backstory to this is of an international chess tournament, and also the whole Cold War East versus West uh, dynamic that was going on in the 60s, and the potential defection of a, a Soviet specialist. Well, we get to see the team, all four of the team of countermeasures, working very closely together in this one because they fly over to Amsterdam and uh, are essentially in the field, including Sir Toby Kinsella, who's often behind a desk. 
Yes, it was nice to see the whole team working as a single team. Very often they split them up into pairs, as happens with a lot of these audios, or indeed Doctor Who generally, where they try and split the main characters up and give them slightly different stories. And yes, there's a great dynamic within the team, and you really sort of see them playing off of one another. By this point, I'm beginning to get drawn in to these characters and who they are. And, and the funny thing is, you know, in a way they're becoming more cohesive in a team, and yet this particular story sets them against each other to a large degree, and that cohesiveness is threatened. And so the fact that I was beginning to be concerned about that shows that, yes, indeed, the series is pulling me in. Alison, what do you want? To talk. Not sure there's anything to say. (laughs) You always have plenty to say. Funny how nobody listens. This isn't like you. How do you know what I'm like? We're friends. You don't know the meaning of the word. Now you're just being silly. Yes, silly old Alison. You wouldn't think I was a scientist in my own right. Of course you are. Then why do you still treat me like a lab assistant? I don't. The day you took over the team, I thought it would be different. No more fighting to be noticed. I honestly believed things would be better. And they're not? I expect to fight people like Toby. I never thought I'd have to fight you too. You're getting hysterical. You're worse than Sir Toby. At least he doesn't hide it. Oh, I can't talk to you when you're like this. Then get out! Go on, get out! I love the way the story turned the screw and the tension throughout until you ended up with really quite a shattering climax towards the end from what was a relatively quiet start-off. And I thought, as a dramatic piece from point A to point B, a really, really well-told story. I really, really enjoyed this. Moving into the fourth story is Sins of the Father. And here again, we kind of get to drill down into some of the characters. Uh, back when we when we did Fifth Citadel... We got to look a lot at Sir Toby Kinsella and begin to peel away some of the layers of, of him. He's, he's become my favorite character, I think, of the team. Here again, we get to focus on Toby and some of the mysteries that he hides. Yes, it's a great character piece for Toby. It also calls back to one of the earlier stories in the series. You've got a dynamic between Toby and the rest of the team where he's clearly hiding things from them and there's a, there's a tension between them. Overcame trained soldiers and with no clear cause of death. I'm simply stating the facts as we understand them. Obviously, there are gaps in our knowledge. Obviously. Still, it's a starting point. How do we proceed? Proceed? My dear Professor Jensen, I think you misunderstand. This isn't a case for countermeasures. Sorry? This debriefing's a courtesy, a means of drawing a line under the whole affair. These deaths are tragic, but that's all. There are no loose ends, nothing requiring further investigation. You're joking. Emma Waverley was dangerous, yes, but able to wipe out an entire troop of armed soldiers? She never showed that level of strength before. Something happened to her. More than likely a development of her previous condition. With respect, you're looking for problems that aren't there. And with respect, I'm not sure you're qualified to make that judgment. Ouch. You know, I actually struggle a little bit with that clip that we just heard because the whole story hinges on him having told them that much and then telling them, don't investigate. And throughout the story, it seems to validate the fact that he does not want them to investigate and does not want them to dig any deeper into the secret. And yet, why give them even that much? I I don't see why he... There's a couple points in the story. That's one. There's another point where one one of the characters comes in and he's burning papers and she knocks on his door and he says, come in. And she comes in and sees him burning papers, which becomes important later on. I do like a warm fire when it's cold. It's not that cold. At my age, you feed it more. 
so that that's a strange dynamic for me. I thought, oh, they're doing something really subtle with the character where he wants them to find out even though he doesn't want them to find out. But I don't think it was that clever. Um, that was one of the niggles for me in what was otherwise a fairly interesting story. I think, I mean, the first one didn't bother me because I, at the time I did wonder, but then I, I picked up on the fact that this is actually a continuation of one of the previous stories they've been involved with, and this was very much about closing out the investigation of one of the earlier mysteries. So I can see the reason why he would want to talk to them on that. The fire one, yes, but Toby's such a confident and to be honest, arrogant character that it probably wouldn't mm. even occur to him that others might see things suspiciously. He would just do what he feels he needs to do and expect them to just leave him alone to do it. Well, the fact that he's got this mysterious backstory, I think, is one of the strengths of the character, and I almost hope they didn't go too far too soon in this in terms of hinting at that backstory and revealing some of it, presumably. Nonetheless, he, he's a fascinating character, and, and one of the fun things, and I think one of the skillful things they did over the course of Countermeasures too, is that you sort of begin to sympathize with him and like him as you go through these stories. And then by the end of this one, you're not so sure about him again. And so I do like the way that they kind of keep you off balance as to whether he's a good guy or not a good guy or something in between. This whole series was much more character-driven than series one. And in fact, they say that in the, the extras for the for the series, that they moved, moved a little bit away from the Monster of the Week-style storytelling and focused on the character-driven stories because they'd recognised that that was where the format was at its strongest. And they've absolutely nailed it on the head that uh, this really is an ensemble piece where it's all about the interplay between the different people and the characters they've encountered in the particular story. And on that basis, it works really, really well. And I have to say, I've really enjoyed seeing series two of countermeasures you know i would agree this is a this is a solid series countermeasures is worth listening to of these four stories i think my personal favorite was the second one the fifth citadel but uh, none of them you know not a not a clunker among them my favorite might possibly be pesh because i just loved what they did with the story as it went through and i love the, the whole world and atmosphere that it creates i really find myself in both of these series just losing myself in sort of the world of the 60s that they create and, and absorbing that and enjoying the story and it's like you know when you read a really good book and suddenly it's almost like you're waking up when you come out the end of it and i get an element of that in these stories so for me they're very very strongly written and put together with a wonderful atmosphere i would encourage folks to, to seek them out listeners if you do that let us know what you think Well, that's another burning issue that will probably keep burning for a while, and I'm sure that uh, we'll get lots of uh, lots of listener uh, listener opinions and ideas on this burning issue on the forums at the DoctorWhoPodcast.com. Uh, in the next couple of weeks, we've got some good good episodes planned, right? So we've got uh, um, we've got a review of Living with Levine. Oh yes! Oh, it's not just a review of Living with Levine; it's gonna be a Sergeant Benton special. <laughs> I'm definitely looking forward to that one, um, mm, especially after after having watched Living with Levine. Um, and then uh, we, you know we've got we had a we had uh, a a listener idea to discuss some some new series uh, some new series stories our, our favorite Matt Smith stories that we want to go back and review so uh, or at least revisit uh, and that one I'm really looking forward to because everyone knows I'm a huge Matt Smith fanboy so um, just trying to narrow it down to one episode I don't know how I'm going to do that but. Uh, you have to talk faster. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, so so keep listening, everyone. Uh, come back and uh, and uh, and listen to us prattle on some more about these wonderful <laughs> topics. Okay, listeners. Bye for now. Bye bye. Take it easy. 
You've been listening to a performance of the Doctor Who podcast, brought to you by professional Tom, thespian James, and struggling actor Stephen. You can find more episodes of the show at thedoctorwhopodcast.com, find us on Facebook, Twitter, or drop by the Doctor Who podcast forums and wax lyrical. Thanks for listening. See you later. Argentina, Bolivia, Brazil, Chile, Colombia, Costa Rica, Dominican Republic, El Salvador, Ecuador, Guatemala, Honduras, Mexico, Nicaragua, Panama, Paraguay, Peru, Uruguay, Venezuela, Angola, Benin, Botswana, Burkina Faso, Burundi, Cameroon, Cape Verde Islands, Central African Republic, Chad, Congo, Cote d'Ivoire, Democratic Republic of the Congo, Djibouti, Equatorial Guinea, Eritrea, Ethiopia, Gabon, Gambia, Ghana, Guinea, Guinea-Bissau, Kenya, Liberia, Madagascar, Malawi, Mali, Mauritania, Mauritius, Mozambique, Namibia, Niger, Nigeria, Rwanda, Tome and Principe, Senegal, Seychelles, Sierra Leone, Somalia, South Africa, Sudan, South Sudan, Swaziland, Tanzania and Zanzibar, Togo, Uganda, Zambia, Zimbabwe, Hong Kong, Indonesia, Malaysia, Myanmar, Singapore, South Korea, Taiwan, Thailand, Finland, Germany, Poland, Russia, Canada, Australia, United States and the United United Kingdom.